Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. back. Uh, I said to the first hour, uh, you never know when you're invited whether you get a second invitation or not. And so this has got to be a good thing, right? Either that or they're extremely desperate and nobody else volunteered. And, uh, but uh, past, your pastor texted me this morning and showed me a picture uh, of where he's at uh, in Africa. And it's incredible. He's there with the church planner and, and excited for him and, and what the Lord is doing there. This is where uh, voodoo began. That's, that's some scary stuff. To, uh, to be in a place with uh, that amount of witchcraft. And then his wife uh, popped in, didn't think she was going to be here, thought she was going to be uh, with her parents, uh, said that he was, was in the midst of pythons. And so, uh, man, uh, that, that's a whole nother level of scary, unless you like snakes, unless you're one of those type of people that enjoy uh, the, the, the snake handling and stuff like that. Maybe we should try it some Sunday and uh, kind of liven the crowd a little little bit up and, and passed around a snake or two. Yeah, all right, we got some teens that are, that are for it. You must have one, uh, an aquarium or something at home. Take your Bibles. Take your Bibles and turn to Hadassah, the book of Hadassah, uh, chapter number two. You know what that is? Esther, Esther chapter number two. Uh, there, is a, there is a story uh, here uh, that's interesting uh, that, it's, that it's in the Bible. And, and I'm telling you, if, if, if Hollywood, of course, they don't get anything right, but if the movie industry would, would just read this book, they don't need mermaids and they don't need uh, all this type of uh, stuff. All they have to do is go to the book of Esther because this is one of the most amazing stories ever. It's just does, if it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. I would think it was made up by Disney uh, of some kind. But Kind of let me give you a, a, a background as far as chapter number one, since we're going to go to chapter number two. I was going to have my wife, and I was going to pray her up here on this platform and show her how beautiful she is, and she hates when I do this mess. Uh, she's an introverted type of person where it's like, let me uh, be behind the scenes. I'll work with the kids and stuff and leave me out of it. But this is my wife. I, the first time I came, I, I, I didn't have her with me, and uh, she finally came with me. And so uh, uh, there's my wife. I'm not going to have her stand because, again, she is a little introverted at times. But uh, the point being, I was going to parade her uh, across the platform and let you see her beauty because of chapter number one. That's what King Ahasuerus did. This is uh, Esther chapter number one. Uh, so there was the king in Persia, and he was in charge of 127 different providences. He was in charge of almost the world at that known time. Uh, remember Babylon uh, and Nebuchadnezzar? He was in charge of the whole world. Uh, he was, uh, his word uh, was law, and he said everything. But then the Medes and Persians came over and defeated Babylon. And so they're kind of in modern-day Babylon, but uh, it's the Medes and Persians that are in control of the land. And King Ahasuerus is the man in charge. Now, historians uh, have told us that King Ahasuerus is Xerxes. So when if you hear me say Xerxes, that's who we're talking about. Just as 
there was a Caesar in Rome, and there was many different Caesars, or there was a Pharaoh in Persia, and there's many different Pharaohs. There are many different uh, Ahasuerases. It describes his kingship, but the individual, if you will, is Xerxes, and so, uh, so here we are, and Xerxes is in charge, and he throws a party for six months. Some of us would be like, now that's a party. Now that is something that goes beyond just a, oh, they get married and a reception after 180 days, this king put on a lavish feast, all you can drink alcohol. It was a, he brought in all the world leaders, all the 127 providences, the governors, the mayors, the, uh, the sheriffs, the businessmen. If you had a position within uh, the country, you were brought in, and for six months, you drank, you sat back, you partied, you ate, you feasted, you probably acted like the devil. No telling what went on for these six months. Well, after these six months ended, the, they weren't, that wasn't enough. He threw another party for seven days. And this seven-day party now went outdoors. So he went out into his Persian garden. And as he was out in the Persian garden enjoying all you can drink, and as a matter of fact, each individual, in chapter number one, it describes the actual uh, drinking mugs had uh, individual names or they, were, they, were, there was one, they weren't alike. It was, it was designed for, I mean, he put on a lavish party. And in this lavish party, he sat back in his drunken orgy and carrying on with all these guys. He said, you guys should see my wife, the Queen Vashti, or Vashti, however you want to pronounce it. He said, you guys would be impressed with her beauty. And, and they were like, oh, I don't know, king, and probably drunk. Let's see her. Why don't you pull her out and, and show her her beauty? And he says, hey, uh, powers that be, go get the queen. I want to show them. Well, in Persia... It was uh, somewhat of an immodest thing for a female to come and unveil herself in the presence of a bunch of drunken men, or just any men in particular. She had dignity. She had position. And so uh, when the powers that be came and said, Queen, the king has need of you. Come on. Uh, she said, mm -mm, no. Now, in the Adams household, whenever I summons my wife, no is a normal response. I mean, I just, you know, I'm like, honey, honey, you know, and I'm like, ah, she must be busy or whatever, or she just doesn't come to my beck and call. Uh, and so having six kids, uh, I'm the last on the total pole. Anyways, uh, uh, so uh, this would have been normal within, but not with the king. With the king, you can't even come into his presence unless he invited you. As a matter of fact, if you walked into the king's presence unannounced or uninvited, it would be your head unless he uh, held out the royal scepter. And so here he's throwing this party. He summons the queen. The queen, Vashti, says, not interested. And all of a sudden, Houston, we've got a problem. All eyes are on the king. Your wife is not coming. And then the fellas are sitting here saying, hey, if you're the king and your wife isn't listening to you, what's going to happen when we get home? All these wives are going to catch wind that the queen isn't going to listen to the king. She's in charge. And guess what? When we say something, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. Kind of like, no, anyway. Uh, and so, so sure enough, the men sit here and say, why don't you banish her from your presence? And he gets angry, probably drunk, out of this seven-day feast and, and decides to divorce Queen Vashti. 
And so he divorces the queen Vashti. What is the whole reason for, for having 180 days worth of partying and drinking? And then this seven day, he was trying to impress the powers that be so that they would entrust him to go and defeat Greece. There was one place, of, there was one empire, there was one piece of land that he didn't have control of. And so he was dead set on getting this, this, this country under his leadership. And instead of 127 providence, he wanted Greece. And so this party was all, all about just to impress these people so they would rally behind him. He would take the militaries and he would go after Greece, defeat Greece, and he'd be the king of the world. Well, he failed miserably. He went after Greece he had probably three times the amount of power and strength and man power, and yet in the Battle of Silesia, he died. He, they died. His army was defeated, and, and he walked back and came back to his palace defeated. And, and so then we come to chapter number two. Chapter number two says, after these things. Chapter number two in Esther chapter two is describing after these things. This has been now three years since he's thrown this elaborate party. This has been about three years since he went after Greece and uh, was defeated. And he's coming back in this three years. It says, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, let there be fair young virgins sought for, a king, for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the providence of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of women, unto the custody of the Haggi, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let the things for the purification be given them, and let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and, and, and see what you have done and see your sovereignty in place this whole time. Lord, I pray that we would realize that you are at work in our very lives. Lord, even though we don't see you, even though we don't, uh, you know, even kind of see what's going on around us and we kind of sometimes get defeated and seem to worry and fret about the future, God, I pray that this would kind of help us realize that you're at work, whether we see you or not, whether uh, things are falling into place for our good or whether it seems as though things are falling apart at the seam. And uh, God, help us to see the sovereignty of God cannot be denied and cannot be uh, uh, avoided if you have your will done in our lives. Lord, I pray that I could encourage someone here today. Lord, if there's someone here that's had a rough week, had a difficult uh, time in, in this last month or so when their heart is heavy, God, I pray that maybe this story, maybe this passage, maybe a verse within uh, this will, will, will spark their, their hope and their interest and their understanding that God, you're in control. And God, all things work together for them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And so, Lord, I pray you speak to us. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So here we see in this passage of Scripture, it says, after these things, after the things that had just transpired, he divorced his wife, he went to try and take on Greece and lost, and now he's coming back and he's lonely. It's interesting because this entire book, some say, uh, shouldn't even be in the Bible. Uh, some sit here and say, hey, this was a mistake. It shouldn't be added in as scripture. And, and the reason behind it is because in this entire book of Esther, God is not mentioned one time. In the entire book of Esther, there is no uh, mention of Jehovah, of Yahweh, of Elohim, nothing of God, nothing of his deity, nothing of his creator, nothing of any form of God. And on top of that, there's no mention of prayer. There's no mention uh, of his, his working as far as them looking, except for the fact that Esther, later in a couple chapters, think chapter number four, basically tells the Jewish people, fast. Hey, tell the people to fast for three days. And I may be back in September, and we may look at that if the Lord allows us to. But in this book, God's name is not mentioned. And so some people are like, ah, it doesn't have significance for the word of God. But what happened in this very time period is the Jews, if you remember when I came back in Daniel, uh, they, they had stopped honoring the Sabbath, and they weren't taking the sacrificial system seriously, and they weren't obeying God as they were supposed to. And so uh, God allowed the, the Babylonian Empire to seize them and take them into captivity. And so they've been in captivity for 70 years. Right now, as we come to the book of Esther, it's the only time period that we have uh, documented to kind of see what's taking place in this, this, this period in Persia. Uh, obviously, we know Ezra. Ezra came along, and, and he was uh, allowed to take the Jews after the seven-year exile, after these 70 years of being in captivity. He, was, he got permission to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to Judah, and to rebuild the temple and to get back to the command that God had given them in honoring and glorifying the God of Jehovah. And so here, he is taking 50,000 Jews from Babylon or from Persia, back to Jerusalem, but Esther and Mordecai that we're going to see in just a minute didn't go. Mordecai is the father figure of Esther, and again, I'm going to explain this more if we have time, and he basically was a keeper within the gate. He had position in the palace. He had a job to do, and he probably was one of those Jews. There was a, a group of Jews that felt so comfortable within this pagan land, within this uh, uh, Persian empire, that instead of obeying God and getting back to Jerusalem, getting back to their homeland, they said, things are better here. We have more opportunity here. We're just going to stay put. And so Esther is really the only picture we have of what's taking place with those Jews that did not go back with Ezra or Nehemiah or did not go back uh, to the homeland and experience the opposition and building the temple and so on and so forth. Is everybody with me? All right, good. Uh, hang on, we're still, we're, still, we're still getting to where I'm trying to get. Um, so here we see that King Ahasuerus, Xerxes, is in charge. There's no mention of God in this. He divorces his wife Vashti. He's basically been defeated. He's sitting lonely within the palace. And so we see a, a search 
for a queen. We see a search for the wife. We see them say, hey, this poor king, we gave him some bad advice. We were all drunk partying. We told him to get rid of his wife. Now he's lonely. Now he wants her back, and we're probably to blame. Uh, we got to figure out something, and so they put this plan together. And so the first thing I'm going to look at the start of the search. Uh, the start of the search it was brought about because of his memory. He gets back to the palace. He's probably walking around. He's defeated. And all of a sudden, he has nobody to cheer him up. Now, men, when we do something stupid or we kind of just kind of mess things up, who's the number one person that kind of lifts us out of our depression and kind of tells us that we're not the loser that we feel like we are? I mean, come on. How many, how many, it's the wife. I don't know if she believes what she's saying, but nevertheless, there's times where we're just kind of beat up, discouraged, broken down, and we're ready to give in, and all of a sudden, she'll come along and say, you're my hero, you are. Now, now, ladies, if, if you're not doing that and you're beating them up, then, then, then help yourself out and kind of encourage your man. Amen, ladies? Oh, good, good, we're on the same page here. And so, and so here, he's in the palace by himself, banished his wife, and he's lonely. And so the powers that be are in search of this, uh, this, this queen, if you will. We see the ministers that are, are present. Let's look at verse number two. Then said the king's servants, so these are his servants, that ministered unto him. So we see the memory he had, the ministers that are speaking unto him. Let there be fair Young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the providence of the kingdom that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace to the house of women. That was the, the harem that he had unto the custody of Haggai, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let the things for their purification be given them. So the plan was, hey, let's find a maiden. Let's find a queen. So uh, according to historians, these uh, servants and these ministers kind of went out and they found the most beautiful thing that they can behold. And they, they found these young virgin girls and they brought them back to the palace. Now, uh, according again to uh, Josephus, a, a historian, it, it, they, they, they claim it could have been up to 400 women, 400 young virgin girls that they brought to the palace. And then they were going to put on this beauty contest. As it appears, the search was based solely on outward appearance. We will see God's sovereign hand at work in the process, but the servants were only looking for those who met certain physical criteria. There is no mention of any examination of moral character or requirement regarding integrity. Sadly, this is exactly how our society operates today. Sometimes they only kind of look on the outward appearance and they're not looking on the inward. Aren't you thankful that our God, our Father in heaven, doesn't look at the outside physique or what we wear or what we dress, he looks at the heart. He looks at you. He sees your soul. He sees your mind. He loved and, and, and he sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary for you as an individual. He doesn't see color of skin. He doesn't see the amount in a bank account. He doesn't, maybe he obviously sees it, but he doesn't care about those things. He cares about the individual. He cares about your, 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 your mental health. He cares about your physical health. He cares about uh, what you know him to be. And so here we see that God isn't like this modern day world where it's all uh, about physicality. But here is the search. Uh, but in the search, we see the sovereignty of God. 
we see the sovereignty in the search. Uh, all of a sudden, God is behind the scenes. The king's servants were completely unaware of the sovereign plan God had for the new queen in Persia. He was working behind the scenes to orchestrate his choice to succeed Vashti. Aren't you thankful that we are not just living in this world by happen chance? We're not just going about luck. We're not just even people sit here and do this little, uh, and, that, and I'm like, that's pagan, uh, knocking on wood and carrying on like that. Uh, we, don't, we don't abide by that luck, and we don't sit here in the powers that be, and we're not playing uh, the sorcerer. We have a heavenly Father that's in charge of our circumstances, amen? Uh, he has created this world. He knows uh, the powers that be. It's interesting because there's people outside these, uh, this house, the church, and that think they're in charge. They think they're gods unto themselves, but but here is a perfect situation where there's a king that thinks he is in charge, wanted to defeat something, but he's, God is sovereignly orchestrating something in the Persian Empire. And so sure enough, the providence we see in verse number five, it says, now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, uh, Shimei the son of Kish. A Benjamite. Uh, so here is an individual that is brought on the scene providentially by God. He had strategically placed Mordecai, Esther's cousin, an adoptive father within the palace of Shushan. Prior to the need for a queen, God had placed Mordecai in his very position. And God does that with each and every one of us. There's times where we sit here and we say, Where's God? What's he doing? I don't understand. Why am I here? Why, why aren't things working out? I'm praying for this certain circumstance to change, but it seems it hasn't. Where's God? Where's God? You know, they can say that throughout the entire book of Esther. Where's God? No mention of God. But yet all the while, God's sovereign hand is orchestrating everything according to his perfect plan. And so we see the providence. But then we see uh, the, 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 the verse number six, who had carried away from Jerusalem, this was his captivity. Uh, this being, uh, brings to mind the security every believer has in Christ. Our lives may face unimaginable difficulty, but we are secure in the Lord. Uh, here we see the preparation, if you will, in verse number seven. It, uh, it says, and he brought up Hadassah. There's the first mention of her name. That's Esther. Uh, Hadassah, uh, verse number seven says, and he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So here is Esther. She's this beautiful young lady who's not just beautiful in her face, but it says fair, and then it also has uh, the, the idea of beauty. And so the fair is her physique. It's basically somebody who is beautiful on many different levels, and, and, and it's describing her beauty, and it says that her name is this Jewish name, Hadassah. Well, uh, to kind of speed things up for the sake of time, uh, Mordecai, her cousin, uh, uh, comes along and becomes her father figure. Hadassah lost her parents. We don't know exactly what happened to her parents. It could have been uh, that they lost their life during the siege uh, when, when Babylon came over to Jerusalem and were taking the Jews and, and killing off uh, the, the authorities that be and then took uh, the brightest, their children, to re-indoctrinate them, kind of like we saw with Daniel. 
She could have been a part of that whole process, but yet uh, Mordecai just kind of took her under wing because she was so young. But here is Hadassah, this young Jewish girl without parents. Her cousin Mordecai comes along and begins to take care of her. But then he, go, he looks at her and he says, now listen, Hadassah. He says, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what this whole grabbing up of all these virgins are going to start. So if they come to this home, and you get summons because of your beauty. I want to change your name from Hadassah to Esther. Uh, Hadassah is a Jewish, and there was probably some anti-Semitism. There was probably some uh, probably vitriol and a little prejudice towards the Jews, and so they were going to even Mordecai uh, was a description of another god. Uh, Esther is uh, Ishtar, which is a, a goddess of the fertility god, and so she, he kind of gave her this pagan name Ishtar after Esther, and so he's kind of changing her name so that they won't realize she's Jewish. And all of a sudden, this search... Uh, becomes this sovereign plan of God. I, am, I can assure you we have no way of knowing where the will of God may lead us. Amen? We don't know what God has in store for each and every one of us, but we can rest in his divine preparation. As God chooses a path for our lives, he begins to prepare us for the task ahead. He will guide us to the right place and surround us with the right people. He has never called anyone to serve without providing all they need to accomplish his will. Uh, there may be some out here and they, you're saying, I don't know how tomorrow, I don't know how the future, I don't, I don't understand. Just trust God's process. Just depend upon his sovereign will and knowing that all things work together for good. Why do we fret? Why do we worry so much about tomorrow when we can't do anything to change it? Uh, why do we sit here and twiddle our fingers and think that, oh, we sit here and, and, and create ulcers in ourselves when we don't have the power? Instead of just trusting the Lord, instead of just taking his word and finding out exactly where he wants us, exactly what he wants us to do, we must trust God's providential plan. So here we see that God in his sovereignty is orchestrating this whole uh, process. Esther becomes a prospect. Sure enough, they take her. They take her in this process where Esther was brought in verse number eight. Was she voluntarily brought? Was this a mandatory? It kind of sounds to me, if you look at verse number eight, in the middle of verse number eight, it says Esther, uh, Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. The word custody kind of makes me think that she was probably taken from Mordecai's home, and now she's under custody. They, they have control of her, and he brings her in. Well, Haggai finds her very pleasing. He puts her in a special place. He gives her her own room instead of the other 400 women. Can you imagine? Can you imagine uh, 400 women being in there and trying to beauty up so that they can go before the king? Can you imagine? I mean, I've got five girls, and we've given them all the upstairs. I don't even go up there. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, the products and the hairsprays and the nails, they'll consume me uh, with all the, I mean, it's, I go up there, and it's, 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 it's scary. Uh, my son, 
He's got his own room. He's a lucky. Uh, he's got his closet. Everything is neat and in its order, and nobody's allowed to touch anything in there. He's kind of OCD with that. And sometimes his sisters just go in there and just rah, like we're up here all packed in. We've got multiple rooms up there, but they're all sharing different uh, closets and stuff like that. And he's down there in his own with his own bathroom and all that type of stuff, and they're just not pleased with it. Anyways, uh, can you imagine 400 of these people coming together? Can you imagine all this, this, uh, uh, this, this beauty? And so that's what it turned out to be, a beauty school. Uh, they had a year. They had an entire year to plan and prepare. They had six months with these certain myrrhs and spices and different oils that they used. And then another six months, they describe it as this purification process. But it was nothing more than a, a year-long beauty school so that they probably are taught how to be queen-like and what uh, the king likes. And then they're going to parade these young ladies uh, in front of the king, and, and he's going to pick one uh, at his liking. Well, it's interesting because all the while, God has his sovereign plan in place, and he's already picked the queen, amen? And God already had this all figured out. God already had this planned, and, and, and the process was underway. Uh, well, I'm here to say that uh, God's process is greater than anything man can put together. Sometimes our society thinks, like I said earlier, that they're in charge. But this passage of Scripture shows that you, cannot, you don't have to sit here and acknowledge God. and You don't have to sit here and bring him. God's in control whether we like it or not. And God's in control of the society outside the church. Sometimes the church thinks God's sovereignty only is within the church and with Christians. No, God uses the lost world to bring about his will. God uses all the things around us. And like I, I don't know if I've said it in here or said it out there, sometimes we look at what's happening in our society and we think that everything's falling apart and oh no, all of the world's going to eventually end. But things are falling right into place as God would see fit. He's in charge and he's allowing everything to take place just as, uh, as is. And so we see that the search is in place for this uh, queen, if you will. Well, skipping to the conclusion, the selection process is brought about. Esther was brought, and then she was preferred. And then, of course, Mordecai walked every day to kind of visit her. And for this 12-month period, she was uh, uh, being beautified up. And then we, of course, come to verses 16, if you will. Or let's read verse eight, uh, 15. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abiah. By Hala, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go in unto the king. She required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. Here, they probably had jewels. They probably had clothes of silk. They probably had ointments and, and beautiful perfumes and makeups and probably had all this different stuff. And for this entire year, they were taught how to adore themselves and how to carry themselves and how to maybe even seductively try and get his attention as the king to become uh, uh, someone that he would remember. And they're probably doing all these things to try and teach them. But Esther... It's interesting, wasn't interested in dolling herself up. Probably came to the place with all the gold and all the necklaces and all the rings and all the apparel. And she's like, mm, I don't need any of that. 
And they were probably like, you're going to go before the king. Uh, he probably went uh, before the elaborate silks and the royal apparel. And uh, she probably uh, took something very modestly. She was like, I'll take that white and I'm going to go in. And yeah, but aren't you going to uh, bring And, and she, it's interesting because it said she required nothing. I love that part about the story because it just shows God can take anybody, and he doesn't need help from the outside sources. If he's chosen you, and he's going to promote you, he's going to do it without, without all the flurs, frills, and, and, and uh, he can do it as he sees fit, again, according to God's sovereignty. While the selection process is contrary to the Christian faith, there is a principle here. And I'm not trying to twist the scriptures. And I'm not trying to make this passage say something it's not, but I'm trying to build a parallel, if you'll follow me. Here she was trying to prepare to present herself before the king. And we are here on this earth serving the king of kings and lord of lords. And I'm thankful that we don't have to sit here and try and bring all the gaudy apparel and try to make money and try to build a big resume to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, am I worthy? The Lord is not going to accept any single one of us. Amen? The only thing that he'll accept, follow me, is his son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross of Calvary. God's not going to one day stand and sit on his throne and I'm going to come before him and say, God, I was a pastor and I read the Bible and I studied your word and I prayed and I, I did all these type of things. No, God's not going to sit here and say, well, Jeff Adams, come on in. When I stand before the king, he's going to look down and he's going to see me, but he's not going to see Jeff Adams. He's going to see his son, Jesus Christ. In me, not because of the works that I have done, not because me, I'm standing uh, on his word, uh, because God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not going to accept anything. Uh, it's through the shedding of blood that we have remission of sins. And through Jesus' shed blood, through Jesus' penalty, he took my penalty, he took my sin, he took my, and when I put my faith and trust in him, I can now stand as a prince. I can now stand as a child of the king, and I am here representing the Lord Jesus Christ. I am here uh, giving him my life. Uh, I can only kind of uh, paint a picture of God being one of those producers or pl a production. A God has created this play of life, if you will. And he has drafted me in his play. He's given me a part. I was born in 1980 and I came on the scene. And he chose me and I've accepted the Lord as, his sa as my savior and I put my faith and trust in him at 16. And so in this play, uh, he's allowing me to live out in representation of my God and I'm preparing myself and I'm trying to plan and I'm trying to represent the king in one day, one day I'll stand before him. One day I will bow my knee. One day I may be crowned with some uh, crowns. And one day I will cast them at his feet. And I am here on this earth acting out on his play. He is the productor. He is the screenwriter. And he's telling me where to go and what to do. And right now in this play, I'm a pastor. And right now in this play of life, I am a husband to my wife. And right now in this play of life, I am a father to my children. I'm a neighbor. I am a friend to people in the community. I am a coach. I am a whatever God has called me to do, whatever he summons me to do. I'm acting out his 
play production and I am speaking the part he would have me to. And one day I will stand before the producer and I'll stand before the screenwriter and I will give an account of the lines that I have scripted and memorized and, produ- and, and, and played. And it would be sad. It would be sad for us to be cast in the play and for us to be behind stage, if you will, and for us all of a sudden for the curtain to raise and for us to come out here and recite the lines that God had given us in his word and to act out the part as a husband or as a preacher or as a a, a lawyer or as a doctor or as whatever the case may be, construction worker or a city or police. And all of a sudden the screen comes up and we're nowhere to be found. The play is supposed to go on. The people are sitting there waiting, and it's not being, the, no lines are being produced. No, no show is being given. Nothing is because we've quit on God. Uh, we're not representing the Savior. We're not representing the King as we should. And uh, I think of uh, a family that uh, was a huge asset in our ministry, and, and they were uh, doing great things and helped us. And we were meeting at Andrews Institute for several years, and we would pull up with the trailer, and we'd unload it. We'd even ha- build a little platform like this, and we'd uh, have service, and then we'd break it down. And they were a part of it all. They were uh, right there and helped out with the media and helped out with the sound and all the different things and set up breakdown and uh, played softball with us and they were just just a blessing to this pastor. And uh, they had to go off to med school and had to do their training and do some stuff. So we gave them a hug, goodbye, and praying for you. And yeah, I'm going to be coming back as soon as it's all said and done. And so went off to school. And as they were there, they came back and we said, hey, how are things going? Where are you guys going to church? Ah, we haven't found one yet. What do you mean? Oh, we went here, we went here, we went here. We didn't, it's just not, it's not like the one we were. I said, well, don't look for a church like ours. You just find something. You just get, get in, take what you can. And oh, yeah, we're still looking, we're still looking. Year goes by, two years go by. And then my wife, hey, how you doing? Talking to his wife and yeah, where are you going? Oh, we're not going, we're, we're not. Uh, talking to the family, I'm like, where are they going? Not in church. Wait a minute, it's been three years. What are you talking about? How are they not a part of, of a church or a work or, or studying? or what are, they, what are they doing? They're behind the scenes and they're sitting during God's play production. They're not a part. And, and it breaks my heart to think that they got the script. They've been summoned. God's written their name down. They're a part of God's production, but yet they've quit. They've sat out. They're not a part of the work. And Thank the Lord for you folks. Thankful that you're here. Thankful that God has given you his word. Amen? Thankful that we're not just going about in life as, as this kind of wing, wing it, uh, luck, uh, oh, I hope uh, this is a good, no, 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 no. We are here realizing that God's sovereignty is at play and his will will be done in and our lives if we give to him. Well, uh, the approval, finally in verse 16, she was selected. So Esther was taken unto the king Ahasuerus, unto his house royal in the 10th month, which is the month Tabitha in the seventh year. Verse 17 it says, and the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in the sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. Isn't it interesting that here are these Jews that did not necessarily go back to Jerusalem 
with Ezra and Nehemiah and these others that were supposed to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple and get back into the sacrificial system. If you haven't heard anything, listen to this at the very end. I want you to catch this. God works to fulfill his will despite man's sin and failures. God works to fulfill his will despite our stumbling, our falling. God's going to use us No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, God has the ability to get glory in your life despite the backstory. So instead of sitting here saying, I can't, I messed up, or I can't, I'm not talented, or I can't, or whatever, stop using excuses and realize that God can do a work in and through your life. Exiled from a foreign land because of their sin and now being disciplined by God. He did not give up on them and he will not give up on us. He works through men's imperfections to fulfill his perfect purpose. And so I'm looking at probably imperfect people and you're looking at an imperfect pastor standing before you. But God can still use me and he can still use you. You just got to be a willing vessel. Amen? You just got to sign up and say, Lord, I, I want to be a part. I want to be. If I live to be 80, then I will have a little under 40 years left to do the work of the ministry, to love my wife, uh, to raise my children, to represent Christ within the community. I will have a little under 40 years. I will have passed on the scene in 2060. I was born in 1980, and I'm going to, Lord willing, play my part to the best of my abilities. Am I going to be the greatest play production? No. Am I going to be the star of the show? Probably not. But I'm going to use what little tools I have. I'm going to give them to the Lord, and I'm going to allow him through his sovereignty to use me. Amen? And you can do the same thing. You can sit here and give your life to Christ and say, Lord, this may not be much, but what little I have, I'm going to give to you. Lord, turn it into something great. And here is this little Jewish girl, Esther, Hadassah, who grew up without parents, was raised by her cousin, was brought into this pagan land, stayed in this pagan land, and then was selected because of her beauty to present herself before the king. The king selected her to be the queen, and this little Jewish Hadassah saved the entire Jewish race. Later, we're going to hear about a man by the name of Haman who came along to try and kill all the Jews, and she basically stepped up and went to her husband, and, and there's a long story behind it, and I think I might be back in September, uh, and, and we'll look at it, but the fact of the matter is, is God used this little Jewish girl in a Persian kingdom. Isn't that incredible? You can't make this, you can't write this stuff. This is just real life, God's sovereignty being played out, and God could take an individual in here and transform our community, transform uh, the the culture, transform our church, transform your home. God can use you if you give yourself to him. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for the fact that, Lord, you're in charge. And God, sometimes we think we're in charge. Lord, sometimes we worry Sometimes we try and do things in our own power. Sometimes we try to manipulate. And Lord, sometimes we maybe overspend and and try to get out of situations in our own. But God, I pray that we realize 
through this passage of Scripture. You're in charge. And you're bringing things about as you see fit, even in a pagan culture, even in a culture that doesn't even state your name. And so, Lord, if that's the truth, then I can only imagine what you can do with your children that have got your name written on their life, who have accepted you, and who are saying, Lord, I want to be used. Lord, I want to be a part of that play. Lord, give me the script you would have me live out. Lord, I'm signing up. Lord, I'm going to be faithful. Lord, I'm going to be found. And Lord, I pray that you would use each and every individual in this play of life to glorify your holy name. And Lord, we will thank you for the sovereignty that is being lived out in our lives as we speak this very day. In Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church, Gulf.